Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. The Mad Scientist has always been a long staple of the screen. You've got Frankenstein playing with life and death, and you've got the absent-minded professor allowing people to bounce around. I think that's what flubber happened. Um, or you've got the nutty professor trying to lose weight. At some point, they all fail under their own naive hubris. Enter Alec Guinness. He just wants to make an indestructible fabric while his beakers go bleep blop bleep. But the world's <laughs> not ready for the, his brand of crazy science. But we're ready. Because this is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year. I am one half of your host, Liam Daney. Liam Daney? Liam Daney. <laughs> Lim Daney. <laughs> like, those old, like your old uh, letters you used to get, was it like Lim and uh, DeLonghi? Yeah, and when I was in the hospital in Qatar, I had a, a thing around my wrist that said um, Lim Daney. <laughs> which was my favourite I've ever had. And they had my passport to get that name from, so I'm not sure how they happened. Um, they also used to call me Michael all the time because they used to look at Liam and think that's not a name. <laughs> like, yeah, but it is your middle name, it. though. Yeah, yeah, so they used to just move to the name they recognise as a right, name. Right, got you. <laughs> anyway, that's me, and with me is... Oliver Jones. Sometimes Yay. called James when I get post. Oliver James. Oliver James. Oliver James. I get it. No, Liam is like a nightmare name like and no one will believe me but i don't know if it's the way i write the way i speak or something <laughs> but i get everything for uh, but that's not liam i get liam a lot l-r-u-m that's quite common that's not even a name though is it no, <laughs> no. i get leon a lot more than yeah. liam it's fucking bizarre it's always been bizarre would you rather be the pig farmer or the professional huh oh <laughs> uh What's the pig farmer? Isn't there a film called Leon the Pig Farmer? Have I made that Is up? There? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to look this up. <laughs> yeah, thinking, 19, 1992 there? film. Oh, okay. Is it? Do you like? Do you? Do you recommend it? I have not seen it, but it's a British <laughs> comedy about a Jewish estate agent in London who discovers that thanks to an artificial insemination mishap, his real farmer owns a pig farm. What? Yeah, what there you go the cover of that film that is not from 92 that looks like it's from the 60s well the guy's hair almost looks like he's in the three stages or whatever yeah 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 oh my god why do you know this film I don't know I've just known the name of it it's like one of those films you just kind of know of but know nothing about it oh it's hugely entertaining according to the Jewish Chronicle so that's really good maybe when we get round back to the 90s this this Blu-ray release of Liam the Pig Farmer is called the Kosher Edition. <laughs> this actually a special got, edition. Yeah, and it's got a fucking Star of David on the front. What? <laughs> okay, I can see it. And a, a sexy looking pig by the looks of things. So, yeah, it is like showing his bum. <laughs> what? Oh god. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, it's about recommending me Bob the Built Butler. <laughs> <laughs> How many films are there that just a name and then the job title? So like, that's a, well, that's Leon, a Leon the Professional, play. I guess. Yeah, is another. Yeah, Freddie Gottfinkert. That's another one. <laughs> is that a profession? Yes, professional fingerer. <laughs> Where were we? In fact, I was watching uh, an episode of Canadian Drag Race the other day, and Tom Green popped up on it. And bearing in mind how much of a massive fan of Tom Green we were. 
when we were kids. I had mm. to go to Caroline. Who's that? And she went to Tom Green. I was like, no, that's not Tom Green. <laughs> I have, I have, uh, don't ever go back and try and watch Tom Green. It's just don't. But, it I, but I have rewatched Freddy Got Fingered not too long ago. And I have fond memories of it. Yeah, there's a certain amount of, yeah, like, the film is exactly what it wanted to be. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? did it want to be? Well, just this anarchy of filmmaking, like a cut, like kind of surrealism filmmaking. It might be a great example of like kind of that just manic surrealism or something. It's doesn't make any sense, but yeah, it exists. No, I like the what idea it- though when it, when Mike, Michael Anthony Hall says, you know, use your surroundings or whatever, like use what you know is you know for a cartoon or whatever. And then when he has the inspiration to make his family as the cartoon characters, you think, oh, that's what he's going to do. No, he turns into zebras. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what? Oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Look at Those animations hoops. as well, they just go on and on and on, like, in repetitiveness. <laughs> Such a weird film. Anyway, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah, I got, um, yeah I'm fine, to be honest. Good. I don't know. It wasn't that long ago since we recorded. <laughs> I've got not much to report. Uh, I've been doing a lot of GISing, mapping. That's fun. If you fun follow news. me on Twitter, you'll see that I'm posting out a ton of stuff about archaeology at the moment because I'm I'm just my brain's being killed by me doing loads of it. But, um, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of debate at the moment because they're trying to put a tunnel through Stonehenge. And if you've seen that in the news, no, what's what's this about? What's this? Uh, well, this is not going to be interesting for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but like in the sixties, basically, they made the wise decision to build a road that goes right next to Stonehenge. I know I've been on it and I stood on across it because I didn't want to pay to go into Stonehenge, <laughs> and I didn't want to trample on the land. So I just, me and Brandon, just kind of posed behind a fence on the other side of the road. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you've had the experience. <laughs> and the problem is, one, it completely ruins the fucking, like, environment of Stonehenge. Yeah. Like, uh, two, it's incredibly busy, and, like, if you ever try and travel for it, especially as, like, more cars try and use it to kind of get into that London, like, the south, that south way, um, it just becomes, like, a nightmare road. And it's been a nightmare for fucking years. And they can't extend it because it means, like tearing up more of the Stonehenge landscape right mm-hmm. so they've for years they've been suggesting a tunnel that goes like under Stonehenge basically to kind of move the traffic and it's not actually going under Stonehenge like it's going north of Stonehenge it's not like going directly under the stones but like actually it's kind of a good solution um, and it means they could kind of regenerate the landscape a little bit make it a bit more natural again um, okay like have Stonehenge in its better, an environment without a busy road next to it kind of thing and they will do proper kind of you know development archaeology on the entrances to and exits of this tunnel like you know it won't just be bulldozers come in and destroy everything they will record everything that's going through and stuff so actually I think it's a good idea but um, at least it's a good compromise you know mm-hmm. but like the god the world of archaeology is just blown up between like um, people trying to use it for its own goods and its own means and Stonehenge is one of these national icons so it all gets into this weird like nationalism about kind of heritage and stuff and it's all got a bit crazy and twist like archaeology Twitter at the moment is absolutely kind of a buzz with 
um, this problem. Like, so I, that's been my last few days is kind of enjoying yeah. all that kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? Kind of, it's not drama, but yeah, sure. Back and drama. forth. And... Back and forth, yeah. And me kind of getting, you know, and um, it's kind of sometimes kind of nice to be annoyed at people. So me kind of reveling in my <laughs> in my annoyance at kind of the way people are reacting, really. That's my update. <laughs> Fair enough. <Don't> enter- <laughs> Yourself? Um, I've just been storyboarding all this week. That's it. Nothing ah, really- so you planning for the next video? Yeah, nothing too fun. Storyboarding. To be like, I like storyboarding, but I know that like when I finished it, I've got to make the video again and then again because you have to end up. Technically, you make a film or a video three or four times because you, when you storyboard it, you've completed it all technically. It's like if you write a script, you've you've made a film, really. It's just on paper. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, oh, I've got to make it again now. And then now I've got to <laughs> right. physically make it. Now I've got to animate it. Now I've, now I've got to composite it. Now I've got to, and it's just a constant stream of, oh, I've got to make it again. I've got to make it again. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, each time it does change, and you do find new things to do. Or I guess sometimes that you might might find stuff you can't do, and that's actually frustrating. Um, yeah, I mean, the bad thing is I'm getting a bit more—I wouldn't say cocky is the word, but definitely mm. more um, more confident in my skills. I guess so. Okay. Um, so I'm constantly pushing what I can do. So we'll see if I'll be able to push off, push off, pull off, push off, <laughs> pull off what I'm planning. Push to do off to the future. <laughs> no, I look forward to seeing what you're doing, and yeah, I can understand the process being kind of a strain, though. Really, like yeah. I love my favourite part is probably just making the models and stuff. To be honest, so kind of pre-production. Yeah, but because I'm such a mentalist, I like do it. I, I like to have full control over the whole thing. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> which freak. is insane when you're doing um stop motion, frankly. <laughs> Yeah, Especially well. like as long as you do them. <laughs> Normally, it's like a how like the the Ardman shorts they used to do. Um, yeah. So how what would the team be for that like three minute short? Well, like the turtle talking or something. Oh, like those ones. Uh, you'd yeah. probably have. To be honest, they might be just one person. But like, if you're looking at like say Wallace and Gromit, or you know, like say the Wallace and Gromit short. Mm. The, the, you'd probably have a, about ten animators on that, maybe maybe more. The shorts, okay. I can't imagine because they're only thirty seconds. I can uh, probably oh, two yeah, max, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, if you really want to think about it, like probably you're probably aiming to like two or three seconds a day, and I'm having to push like ten, twelve seconds a day. So you know, oh. there's there's corners cut, which so it's a bit of it sucks really because you can't really can't get too not protective but you know you can't get too attached to what you're doing you kind of got to just kind of churn it out really <laughs> which sure. sometimes isn't the yeah. best but yeah, yeah it's just what you got to do really unless they want to like... pay me more and I can hire some other animators but uh, that's not going to happen <laughs> <laughs> then you won't let them work anyway <laughs> yeah because to be honest no one would to work with me anyway I'm surprised Brandon works with me because I'm such a fucking maniac so like if you were to look inside my head it's just a mess if you see how I work, it's a mess. Like it's yeah, I'm 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 I can I'm like that. I'm bad. I'm bad. I've got such bad habits. Like really bad <laughs> habits. And have you watched anything in this time when you were storyboarding? 
I have actually, yeah. So I watched, uh, I rewatched Batman Begins because I got a Ooh. 4K Blu-ray player for my birthday. Ooh. So I happy so birthday. I bought, well, yeah, it was two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> but um, I got a 4K Blu-ray player, so I bought the 4K uh, Christopher Nolan set. So I've been going through those. Cool. So, oh, is that all of his? Well, no, it doesn't. In it. It, no, because it's all the oh. Warner Brothers ones. So it hasn't got the following, and it hasn't got a uh, Memento, but it's got everything else. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, my my goal is to finish those because Tenant is out on 4K like the 14th of December. So I'm looking. It is, so we should probably yeah. do an episode just for Tenant, really. Because should, should we? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> okay. It's important. It's important. Um, it's Nolan. God damn it! It's important. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoy that film. I mean, it's got some really atrocious dialogue in it, like really really <laughs> bad. But um, but I still think it's a lot of fun, and I think uh, it still still works, and it's still for my money the best Batman Batman centric film. I mean, I think the Dark Knight yeah. is a better film, but I think yeah. in terms of like being about Batman, it's still the best one. Yeah, they they start doing what comics often do actually with the batman films is they just let they they know that you know the character so they so they tell the story around the character they don't need to develop really whereas batman begins you know yeah i think when they got to rises they kind of went back to bruce wayne again a bit i think a little rises is just a bit of a mess though like it's full of things some things in that film i think are fantastic and mm. and a lot but it a lot of it's really frustrating because it has yeah. so much potential, and I don't, I don't know if it's because of the whole Heath Ledger thing or what, or or what it actually was. Yeah, but yeah. like it, they tried to cram too much into it in a three hour, and it just feels like a really, it feels very montagey, like too montage. Yeah, it does. It's the Talia thing was such a good idea, and I just think they dropped the ball on Talia. So oh, much. massively! Yeah, they could have built that. Yeah, and even like Catwoman's the same. Catwoman's I, for my money, Catwoman's barely in it in my head. But I think she's really good in it. And but I mean, yeah, Batman's, she is. Yeah, Batman's barely in it. I think I actually once because I was that sad. I kind of just loosely timed how much screen time, actual physical in costume, Batman has, and it's like okay, it's like ten, twelve minutes in a three-hour film. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And like, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. but for my money, I want a bit more Batman in my Batman film. The, it was the kind of this obsession with it having to be twists was was bad. Like it was so obvious that it wasn't Bane that got out of the jail, you know, the whole jail, and it's yeah, so yeah, obvious yeah. that Talia was always evil. But they don't really give her the her a good relationship with Bruce either. It doesn't really feel like her stabbing him in the back, literally, when she does. It's yeah. just and uh, it just kind of fails it. Even the kind of. The Ra's al Ghul kind of um, cameo. You just kind of wanted them to go go full on and put Ra's in it. Do you know yeah, at that just, point? Like, just look. It's so comic booky that one. It's got a bomb that's yeah. going to blow up the entire city. Just, <laughs> yeah, just have a fucking, just have the Lazarus pit in it, and just, do you know who just, cares? Like, it's just got like it. fucking these the ice paths and the the city's blown up for like six months or whatever. It's very cartoony. Like at that point, Nolan's got everybody already, so he could have just. Ha- added some of those more kind of flamboyant um yeah which is weird because he's very i th- consider him quite a kind of fantastical filmmaker oh, like, he is, the, like the prestige base has real magic in it yeah like, and like you know the the whole premise of inception and, which you know the inception yeah yeah but anyway what it was else weird I watched? Like, I watched uh the visit which really offended me actually 
Oh, the M Night film, yeah. M Night yeah. Shyamalan, no, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it just it felt to me so spoilers. It's basically about two kids who go stay with their um, like estranged uh, grandparents. Yeah, grandparents and, um, never met. Yeah, and you find out that the two people they're actually staying with aren't actually their grandparents, and they're two people from like a I don't know, like a psychiatric ward or like uh, dementia. Yeah, they've like got. A, they call it sundowning, don't they? So it's That's some sort it, yeah. of dementia. Like, yeah. yeah. And basically, it offended me because, like, I've got family who've got dementia. I didn't know this is what the film was about, to be honest. But uh, I've got family who've got dementia and uh, mental illness and stuff. And I just thought it was kind of villainizing it, really. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, to be honest. And I found the kids really fucking annoying. <laughs> 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 like the one kept rapping the whole way through and I'm just like oh yeah I forgot about that but but at least M. Night didn't write himself in this film so I don't know I kind of miss an M. Night cameo <laughs> what where he's <laughs> was it Lady in the Lake where he's kind of like yes Lady Lake is the worst one oh, God. when he's literally writes himself as the, the guy who's going to write the film to save the world oh, it's no. so pompous and it's all about how critics are the most evil things in the world it's Ugh, that film kind of yeah. obsessed, but you're. What was the other one with the talking like plants? Was it the happening? That was the happening. They're not talking. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> they should have been talking. I just remember it was like that's where... they released yeah. spores, didn't they? That killed humans, and that you had to it. get I... ahead of the wind. Like the happening is very boring. I just remember there was the uh, Andy Samberg did like a an SNL like riff on that, didn't he? I think. I don't know. On just the, on the Mark Wahlberg kind of impersonation. Oh, Mark Wahlberg in that film is so fucking hilarious as well because he's like, it, you, you get the impression that Mark Wahlberg wants to beat up his own character because like <laughs> he's he's like so angry that he's oh, such a nerd. I'm such a nerd. Like, yeah, and he's just like, I want to beat up this nerd. Like that's kind of that's Mark Wahlberg's like performance energy in that film. <laughs> it's so it's such odd casting for him. It really, is such odd casting. Have uh, you oh, watched anything? Ah, oh, I wish I watched M Night now. Uh, I haven't really watched anything really, but I I did finish watching. I think I mentioned this last time. I finished watching um, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Oh yeah, uh, and it's rather wonderful actually. I'm gonna have to check that one out. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, of course, it's kind of like, of course, it is. It's Sunset Boulevard kind of thing. But like, I I was impressed at how much I really enjoyed it, and it's a really, it is a really quite modern story um i guess what i'm learning about the 1950s in films um is the fact that i think of the 1950s like a golden the golden period of film Mm -hmm. and it's that far ago you know film was in it in its infancy but actually if you watch stuff from the 1950s they consider almost they're in their kind of you know young adult stage or something they've because they've got this bygone era of like almost 50 years of kind of commercial films actually that came out right. and and they're actually consider themselves the kind of cool young new modern films kind of thing uh and sunset boulevard's kind of about that so it's all about the fact that you've got this aging um aging uh, silent film star who wants to be you know he's fed up of the talkies basically and she wants to be a film star again and you got this young hack writer who's kind of using her for money, and and they kind of have a weird kind of a relationship that they're both like both using each other really. Um, right. It's 
different. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but it's actually really good to watch. It's really fun to watch. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's all about filmmaking. So I think anyone likes film, it's it's all about filmmaking. It's all about the process of, of writing and making films and oh, aging starlets and stuff like that. There's got a funny line in it when she is like, um, there's nothing wrong with being 50 because she's 50 years old and he's like 30, I think his character is. And she goes like, there's nothing wrong with being 50 as long as you're not pretending to be 20 or something, which I was like, Hollywood thinks there's something wrong with being 50. <laughs> <laughs> like, Hollywood doesn't believe what you you're just said. You're out to pasture, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's good, it's good. And um, I didn't realise this, but I actually recognised it when playing. But they have, um, they have uh, cameos from silent film actors in it. Because uh, Gloria Swanson, who's the lead of it, she is used to be a silent film actress. So she's actually playing like a silent film actress who didn't really Got make you. it to talkies. And at one point in the film, she's playing bridge with a bunch of other old actors. And one of them is Buster Keaton, like oh, an old wow. Buster Keaton, um, who I, I just looked at him and was like, hang on, like, that looks a little bit like, and yeah, totally is Buster Keaton. And he talks in it as well, which is weird. I'm not I used to Buster Keaton talking. In, like, but... in my head, like films from the 20s up to the 50s are kind of like, they're all mushed together for me. Yeah, me I mean? too. So yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's weird to think that someone, obviously from the 20s to the 50s is going to be a 30-year difference, but in yeah. my head, they should all be the same age. But <laughs> They're the no. same, yeah. Ex- yeah but like, exactly what I think. And it's, yeah, it's cool to have this kind of, just to see this kind of legacy of stuff, because it is, really is a legacy film about like silent films and about modern Hollywood, really. Like they do a lot of piss take about her old house. It's very old style and her old... um. She has like a theatre in her home, but it's like a silent movie theatre. And she drives a really stupid old car and um, stuff like that. That's like, they really are kind of joking about the fact that she's 30 years out of date um, and never kind of moved past her prime or that time when she was like popular. And um, she's great in it. Gloria Swanson's a great performance as well. So um, it's really, I really liked it. Yeah, cool. Um, and I'm tired. It's a late night record, Ollie. I'm tired. It is. It's actually, it's nearly nine o'clock. I know, it's nearly bedtime. It's 20, 20 to nine. So, should we get... I'm naughty we... up till about two. I don't know what I'm on about. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm asleep by, I don't know, about 10 or 11 these days. Apart from when you're making a film. And then yeah, well, like I said, I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of do it properly and kind of have normal working days we'll see how well that goes yeah we'll see i'm, I'm, I'm remain skeptical it's, it's like you know we were talking about um uh rashomon and how you know men lie to themselves <laughs> sure. uh, i i do that constantly i'm like yeah i can get it done by then yeah me too. Then... <laughs> yeah absolutely i always say uh, i think i have a bit of a self-destructive streak uh, where sometimes I would leave something to a point where I can't do it, and then it's not my fault that it, if it's bad. Like, so I think I've got that kind. Of, I do that now and again, which is unhealthy as hell. But oh, also my ego. Going back to the Rashomon uh, thing, the X Files episode that I think is like Rashomon is Bad Blood, and it's the one with Luke Wilson. And um, there's like a, a kid vampire who's like a a pizza delivery boy. Oh yeah, and. Uh, Skinner pulls Mulder and Scully into the office because both their reports are conflicting. And oh, so you, yeah. you see both of their... And it's written by Vince Gilligan and both of their... Um, huh. Is it Vince Gilligan? I think it is. It may have been. But, um, yeah, and it's uh, 
like uh, Mulder says that Luke Wilson's got big goofy teeth, but in Scully's mind, he's kind of like a a stud and stuff like that. And then <laughs> later on in the episode, they have to go back to where the because like Mulder like staked this vampire, but it turns out he was a kid really. But it turns out he was actually really a vampire. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you kind of find out that their stories were kind of like a mixture of both of them, and then also there was some lies in there and stuff like that. So that's 100% a Rashomon episode. You know, there's um, Jose Chung from Outer Space, that episode. Yeah. Isn't that also loads of witnesses telling their story of this alien encounter? And they're all different. Yeah. And they get increasingly silly or increasingly serious as well. Yeah, yeah. Because that was written by the guy, what's his name? Darren Morgan. And he wrote... um, he wrote the one with Pete. Oh, who's the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond? The dad. God, I don't. I and he won like an Emmy for it. It's called Clive Buck. Clive Buck. Oh. Clive Bruckman's final repose. Yeah. It's such a great yeah. episode. And he can kind of like see people's futures. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's right. God, watch some X Files. <laughs> but today we're not talking about X Files. We are on to 1951 in our uh, new mini and uh, what 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 do you know about films from 1951, Ollie? Not a great deal. <laughs> I think, like last week, I can name three films, maybe four. So I think uh, I think there's more that you know if you haven't realised. Probably. I mean, Strangers on a Train. Yeah, Strangers on a Train, absolute classic. Yeah. Uh, streetcar. Streetcar. Yeah, Streetcar. I was going to mention Streetcar because Streetcar is just. If you watch it, and you sh- everyone should watch Streetcar, um, it's Marlon Brando is doing something yeah. different than any of our well, doing this year. Like, yeah, it's it's like what we were talking about with um, Bruce Lee in you know in how he was compared to other actors in that yes. film. Like, you yeah. just see you just see him in Streetcar, and you're like thinking he's just in a different league. Like, he's different on a league, different yeah. planet, like of acting, and he's he's reinventing new things in that film. Also directed by. Uh, Ela Kasdan, who's the husband of uh, Barbara Loden as well, so oh, a connection nice. to uh, to Wanda as well. I mean, but obviously, also, who was no, he as, who was um, Brando? Like, was it Stanislavski and stuff like that? Though, that kind of like he took all those kind of. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that because he was a famous kind of acting teacher, kind of method teacher. Yeah, teacher, yeah. You're right. Um, yeah, that's right. I'm not. I'm not too au fait with my acting. To be honest, <laughs> my method acting is like people. I wanted to say as well that um, talking of streetcar name design. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been watching The Simpsons recently. No shit. Um, I kind of wanted to make my way through as much oh, as is I could. This a streetcar um, named not... Marge or whatever it is. Or... Yeah, streetcar named Marge. Oh, and I literally watched streetcar named Marge like last week, and that episode is so fucking good. Like it's so good. Well, it's that, like, in the first three series, isn't it, or something? It's one season of those, four. It it's one be, of the early yeah. ones, anyway, isn't it? Um, and it, it, like season four as well. It's like it, like we're talking about nineteen fifties films. All the early seasons to me are just mashed together in Simpsons. But the like season four of a TV show is quite like solidly into a run of a TV show normally when you're not got thirty seasons. And um, they they're into their absolute strides in season four. Like that's monorail and stuff like that. Like and um. Streetcar Name Star, like the the fake musical at the end of Streetcar Name Marge, that's that is based on Streetcar Name Desire, is so funny. Like I was, la- I just was like killing myself laughing at 
all the kind of songs about like in it. So watch that. Watch the street can't eat much. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, the, the end of it was really sweet. Now and again, The Simpsons could actually nail proper kind of like adult sitcoms. Oh, in the, I, was, I miss those old days of The Simpsons. Well, I don't yeah. miss them. I can still watch them whenever I want. It's not like they're yeah, no, away. yeah. It's yeah. There's no point. It still exists. But it's it's just it's kind of amazing to think that they were doing what they were doing when when Simpsons was actually out, like firing on all cylinders by far. And anyway, fifty one. What are the films? <sighs> you know what comes out this year? What's that? Uh, the thing from outer space. Was it? Oh no, the thing from another world. Sorry. Oh no. Way. So, so the, the original film for the um the thing, John Carpenter's thing. Yeah. I've never seen that version, you know, considering that The Thing is actually like one of my all-time favourite films. I've yeah. never watched that one. Because what's it based on a book called Who Goes There or something like that? Yeah, it's something like that, isn't it? Yeah. We're full of information today. But I like, think the I think the way they did The Thing before, it's more like a kind of Frankenstein kind of a man with a mask or like a bag over his head or something like that because they don't <laughs> sure. have the effects to do the kind of... Yeah, it's like it's definitely a really good remake, the John Carpenter one. Oh yeah, the original. But the, that's that's the original. It exists, and um, also uh, the day the earth stood still. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just going to say that. Well. Fifty-one. Yeah, which I've never again. I've never seen that version. I've seen the shitty remake, but I've never well, the, seen the, the Keanu Reeves one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but isn't that is, really is that where you know in Evil Dead where he's like Clatu, Barato, Nictu? Is that where he got? Because isn't like the, yeah, it's, isn't it from the day the Earth It is, yeah, because it's called Clato, yeah. isn't he, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Any of the films come out? That's all I can. I tell you about. what, I've always wanted to see and not seen. It's uh, Family Secret. I've always wanted to see that. I've never got. I've around. never heard. I, of that. I mean, I should say always. I could. I can see it any time I want. I just haven't. Yeah, I know. It. It's this is the whole point of this. What we're doing yeah, is actually. It's sometimes so difficult to sit down and watch stuff. And you have to kind of force yourself into it. But um, I think uh, Alice in Wonderland, the Disney film, came out this year as well, which um, I don't like. It's I don't really... like I have a I have an issue with the Alice in Wonderland story, even though you know I made a video very loosely based <laughs> on it. But like it, it's a story that it's not really a story though, is it? It's kind of. You know, I don't get any fulfilment out of the story because it's very light on the story. It's just full of those crazy like encounters she has. Really, that's it. It's it's kind. Is it a? Is it like Cats where it was a? The book's more like a collection of poems. Am I making that up? I don't I'm know. Not, I, I know, am, like, I? I think I'm making that up. Well, I know the Jabberwocky but, is like a poem, isn't it? And it's kind of. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was part of that world or if they've kind of just because What's it's the same just, writer they've kind of lumped it in with it. Or I feel like that. Yeah. I don't know. The film's that, like drugs. Aren't drugs cool? That's kind of what Alice in Wonderland's about. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know at the end of the Tim Burton one, she fights the Jabberwocky, but it was never Does in she? the. But it was never in the you know the original. I know at the end of the Tim Burton one, the um, Mad Hatter, played by Johnny Depp, does a dance. Oh, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you ever see the second one? No. no, no. I only watched that the Tim Burton one because. I was watching all of Tim Burton and I would never have watched it for any other reason it's <laughs> infuriating but yeah I think that's about all my 1951 knowledge goes to be honest I think that's fair I think we've done okay, <laughs> okay. could could be better could be better there's a there's a film called The African Queen that came out this year that I've oh, heard of yeah um, yeah that's a very that famous Bo- film no it's I've not Bogart is it 
No, it's uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. It is Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. Um, John Huston directed it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and the Superman of the Mole Men, <laughs> which we talked about. In oh, the... we talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, we've already covered it. Um, <laughs> but what are we covering today? Why am I asking you? <laughs> Go on, Ollie. Tell us what we're covering today. We are covering Man in the White Suit, starring Sir Alec Guinness. Sir Alec Guinness. You directed it. Uh, the guy who directed um, Alexander Alexander McKendrick. McKendrick. Yeah, the guy who did uh, Lady Killers, Lady Killers, yeah. which also yeah. starred uh, Sir Alec Guinness. It did. Anyway, play the trailer. Ladies and gentlemen, we are privileged to witness one of our foremost scientists at work. However, to assure the complete success of this most intricate experiment. He must have absolute quiet. I repeat, absolute quiet. It shouldn't have done that. Who'd be a scientist? But if at first you don't succeed, try... Try... Try again. Mr. Hoskins, it's worked! I've done it! I've got to see Mr. Burnley! I've done it! I've done it! Stop him! Stop him! Sister, what's the trouble? He's mad, that's the trouble. I know what they offer you. You could live the rest of your life on it. Go anywhere, do as you please. And if you want me, I come too. Alec Guinness, the screen's most versatile star, triumphantly augments his gallery of brilliant film portraits as the man in the white suit. Hello. Hello. He saw his great discovery as a force for good. It's more important than anything. It's going to astound the world. They saw in it a danger to his fellow men and branded it a threat to industry. We need control of this discovery. Complete control. If you want twice the amount in that contract, we will pay it. A quarter of a million? To suppress it? Yes. You're an irresponsible young idiot. Father, no. Nutson! And you're a pompous and ungrateful old ass. Oh! Sidney! Nutson! No, Father! Nutson! If you think I'd give my invention to you, you must be crazy! I wouldn't give it to you if you were the last man on earth. I wouldn't give it to you if you yes. went down on your bended knees and begged me for it. I won't stay in your house another minute. So, like, The Man in the White Suit, it's uh, a 1951 kind of uh, satirical science fiction film. Uh, basically, Mr. Alec Guinness, or Sir Alec Guinness, he plays Sidney, who's a young research chemist um, who invents a fabric which is both indestructible and uh, doesn't stain either. And because of that, he ends up kind of riling big fabric um, and the trade unions and everyone comes after him to destroy him because he's going to ruin the economy with his new suit um, 
I think you've just summed... We don't need to talk about the film. <laughs> <laughs> just said everything that happens in the film. Hey, that was... Okay. But like, uh, <laughs> it was um, made by Ealing Studios, which incredibly famous British uh, film studio. Yeah. Uh, was by far probably the most famous kind of for its comedies that coming out in this kind of era. Uh it also was made by um so yeah other other Ealing Studio films were like Kind Heart and Con- Coronets, um Lavender Hill Mob, Lady Killers. Um Did they do and, the one with the girls in the school as well? What's that called? Uh, yeah, Saint Trinians. Saint Trinians, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. And they they're still kind of I think like Shaun of the Dead was shot at Ealing, I think. Yeah, it was shot in their point, studios. And I think yeah. um there were some others as well, like um, what were the other more recent ones? I think Intimidation Game, oh, uh, okay. the Theory, yeah, of, theory everything. of Everything, yeah. yeah, Importance of Being Earnest and stuff. Like that. I mean, that's still that's probably neat. you know you, you talk about Shaun of the Dead. That's nearly twenty years ago now. Like, okay, good point. That makes but like yeah, like. so Ealing doesn't exist as like a kind of production studio anymore, but it yeah. still kind of exists as a staple of British film. And uh, I think the BBC owned it for a good chunk of time. They did at some like they bought it around kind of after this film. It's around Lady Killers. So it's about like fifty six or something like that. Yeah. Um. But they owned it until like ninety five. I think they kind of drove it into the ground. I think some people would right. say they did. Um. But like they're the one after that kind of got bought away from the BBC is when Ealing started operating again to kind of make new films or at least to allow their studios to be used to make new films. Oh, apparently some music videos were shot there. I got Mama. Mama by the Spice Girls, Walk Away by Franz Ferdinand, Talk by Coldplay, uh, Crazy Beat by Blur, which I've never heard of, Champagne Supernova by Oasis, so yeah, a few music videos. <laughs> and uh, it's worth kind of talking about British film a little bit, because I think this is really one of the first times we're going to cover them, and mm-hmm. like, the British film's kind of interesting in a way, obviously we are British, but like, um, during... They had, like, British film was really early. Like, British, Britain started making films before America started making films. All, like, the connection with, like, France and stuff like that meant that straight away, like, England were making films and, like, uh, studios well, popped up in, like, London and, and stuff like that. In the kind of 1890s, you know, like, people were making films. Well, the um, Ealing Studio was founded in, like, 1902 or something, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, I don't think they were making their own their own films then. I think they were just, like, obviously hiring it out at that point. Hiring it out, but, yeah, yeah. But there were, there was that, um, there is, uh, oh, my brain's gone dead. <laughs> Rank, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so rank films were like at this time started to operate, and they started being like the kind of dominant um, studio in British film by far. Is rank like, the one with the the oily dude hitting the big gong? Yes, yeah, the oily <laughs> dude hitting the gong, and um, they kind of started making films around before World War Two, easily before World War Two. I think nineteen twenties or so, maybe before that, and rank just became this dominant kind of force in film. Um, to the point where, like, well, to the point where they started kind of being able to kind of beat out the kind of United States film industry, uh, which had kind of crushed them in the 1920s. And you start getting these films coming out in the 40s where you could kind of consider the films in the 40s for the British, the kind of golden age of British film. So you start getting things that actually dominate kind of culture. And I think we'll cover these in the 40s, but there's stuff like Brief Encounter, Great mm-hmm. Expectations, uh, Third Man. 
matter of life and death black narcissus uh which were like massive massive films in the 40s uh hamlet uh, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet it was the first non-American film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture oh, wow. um, and then Ealing Studios came out of that so they were backed by Rank at this point and they started producing their comedy so you got Whiskey Galore uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets Passport to Plimco um, and they just started pushing that kind of dominance in 1940s films same time as where you get Hammer Horrors coming out and, yeah, and I was so say, yeah. by the mid 50s Hammer Horrors are huge um, like film film experience and the problem with British film really uh, is despite all these people coming out you know you, you get like Hitchcock and people like that the problem is that British film is always compared to American film so like the British film could never just stand on its own as the British film industry it was always seen as a step towards dominating American film so every time something came up or some industry came up or some creative people came up, they eventually went to Hollywood and went to American films. Much better money, much better access to actors, much better kind of backing, creative freedom sometimes. Yeah. Um, and this always kind of drove British film into this kind of boom and bust decline that happens continuously, basically, because they can't stand on their own. They always have to be, like, compared to American film. It's, I mean, it's still like that today, I still think. I think Germany, so, you know? yeah. And um, this is kind of the kind of attitude that you're getting the, this film come into then in the 1950s. It's ju- you've just had this explosion of British films, a lot of stuff getting pulled into America, and them trying to kind of again you know, jump on that success. So Ealing was immensely popular. Ealing Studios went out of London, that's why they're called Ealing. Uh, made like their comedies were massive blockbusters in in England especially, but actually See, were breaking I, American markets. Like I always thought they just did comedies. I didn't realize there's a film my dad always used to watch when I was a kid, and so I've seen it several times. The Cruel Scene. I didn't realize that was an Ealing oh, Studios yeah. film. Absolutely, yeah. With Jack um, Hawkins. Jack Hawkins, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's kind of crazy, really. And you know, you start getting. British film starts declining again, basically, in the 50s. Uh, just the popularity of it in the early 60s, really. Again, and then Bond comes up, you know, and Bond gives money to the British film industry again. And you, you just get that kind of waves and waves. Hey, of, of... don't forget the carry-on films. <laughs> you know, I've never seen a carry-on film. Neither have I. I've, I've never <laughs> got it. No, I all don't I, get it all at I all. Can, all I picture is that guy's like, oh, <laughs> and then... Oh, matron. <laughs> yeah, yes they, they always threaten to kind of come up with a new uh carry-on film but like i just I can't see that working to be honest i mean what no. would it be I and is it like i don't know i do not know that kind of bawdy comedy isn't it like that's very british but um, yeah and but it's a britain that I well i'd like to say doesn't exist anymore but we all know there's uh <laughs> it's a britain i don't enjoy it's lingering there. Still. <laughs> it lingers somewhere, like a disease yeah. in the background. Um, and I know British film. It's British film again. I think current state of British film. We've didn't we cancel something recently? The British Film Board or something it stopped funding independent films. Well, or something. yeah. Well, I mean, like for a while we used film to have like yeah. we definitely used to have like regional film councils and stuff like that, mm. but they all got consolidated into like one mass, and it kind of like came a bit more a lot harder to kind of get funding and stuff like that and yeah it's a lot less of creative freedom i think it always happens with these british things it's we get a lot of creative fun coming out and then we crush on it to and stop people doing that freedom 
There was I was going to say as well though, because British they were so worried about British film as well. There was a brief spat in the kind of late forties between America and Britain where um, the British government uh, put on an import duty to American films. So like <laughs> American films had something like seventy five percent tariff on on coming into the country and stuff, which uh, which led to like a year of no Brit- American films basically coming into Britain because they were trying to brush they were like trying to push the British film industry so British much. film, yeah. Brit- uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's silly. <laughs> it's silly. And uh, what does British film do? I mean, like, I think when I think of British film, I think of that kind of social films, social realism stuff. I think we and um, we do stuff about kind of uh, class, really, and about kind of social structures. A lot of stuff about working class environments mm-hmm. and things, but but also like upper class stuff. I think there's there's we there's not often. I think they call it kitchen sink realness realism. Yeah, well, that's like you, films. like you might leave films and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I think that's kind of you know that's like British new wave, I guess in in a way. But like, really, I, if, I, it feels like the last few years we, I don't know, you still get obviously like as you say, Mike Lee, but most of our most British films that are coming through were almost secret British films. Um, they're just kind of like. The, the funding's there, you know, like Christopher Nolan films and stuff like that. They're not really British films, but... Well, I mean, like, the Batman films were considered British because they were, like, all British crew and stuff like that, weren't they? And stuff like that. I guess that's what I mean, like, secret British films, is I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. Don't think of them as the British film industry, but they're kind of uh, funded by... Them. I mean, like, I guess a lot of... Um, what's his name? Danny Boyle films are, like, British films. Most of his, I think. Yeah, okay. All of them, yeah. to be honest. Um but yeah, this it's, it's like I guess the Edgar Wright films as well, like the Cornetto trilogy and all that kind of stuff. And but it seems to me like a lot of our like like a lot of our our actors and directors just like you said are like exports. They just kind of once they kind of do something here that proves themselves, they kind of up sticks and kind of move to the other side of the pond, don't they? Yeah, and I guess that's what I was kind of saying is it was no different in the fifties than it is today. Like, well, yeah, because I mean the know. money, the money's all across the pond. It's not here, and um, yeah, you know, you, you're gonna go where the money is really, where they're gonna fund your crazy ideas to make a, a film, yep. really. And once you've proven yourself in the little kind of pool with restricted money, you get a lot more money coming in, a lot more freedom. You get to play in that kind of huge studios in California or whatever you're doing. Like, but it's I very mean, attractive. Like. We do have some incredible independent talent and stuff in mm. the UK there are some incredible like films just it's not, made you know but um, it's not about lack of talent it's oh, just yeah, yeah, about yeah. like the lack of support for the support, industry yeah, really yeah. Or, or just kind of the people running it have their eyes in the wrong place you know their goals are in the wrong place well They're I think too concerned with trying to make American films rather than trying to make British films I think. well also as well I think you know especially with like the you know the funding for like the film counts and stuff a lot of it a lot of the films have to have a certain level of uh commentary in them do you know what i mean or to yeah. to get the funding and stuff and um you know you've also got the lottery funding lottery funds a lot of films as well that's true yeah that is true um so out of this kind of out of this kind of um, like culture or kind of experience, you get, I would say, Ealing uh, making incredibly popular films. Whiskey Galore was a huge hit in '48. Um, have you seen Kind Hearts and Coronets? 
Um, the only film 49. well I thought I'd only seen was the uh, Lady Killers but obviously Cruelty I realised yeah. is a um, Cause, um, that's it really I just want to talk about Kind Hearts because what, again you should watch Kind Hearts it's great I really really like Kind Hearts but um, Kind Hearts is th- is this film about um, uh, one guy is basically trying to kill off another family basically um, and it's all about social class and stuff like that but the guy who's the standout performance is, is is Alex Guinness, who who does a he does a Norbit in in Kind Hearts and Coronets. I think he plays <laughs> eight characters. I think Jeez. in the film, like he basically plays the entire family of the family they're getting killed off. He plays every single character of that film, um, which is kind of insane. Like I think anyway, but he gets some. Um, that's almost a film directly before this that he gets like noticed in gets a lot of like kind of praise for and they you know he then gets up doing a bunch of Ealing comedies from that point forth like almost inseparable from Ealing I don't think you can talk about Ealing comedies without talking about Alec Guinness who was in so many of them um, made a name for them and obviously Lady Killers I think is probably the most famous but he was he was also in like the Lavender Hill mob as well and uh, he just like kind of made Alec Guinness almost kind of staple actor for Britain really uh, made him well, into a household I was, name I was looking at his IMDB and apparently like you know from the from the 40s to the to the 80s he was never like he was always like the fourth or the fifth or the third most popular yes. British actor in the whole world you know what I mean so he was always up there in terms of like how popular he was yeah and I mean, talking about we talk about Alex Guinness for forever. I think, like in terms of British actors, he's a massively up there. Like, um, still uh, after like the Ealing comedies, you, he worked a lot with David Lean. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, Bridge on the River Kwai is incredibly famous. Like you know, Lawrence of um, Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. Um, and obviously, we'll never go an episode without talking about it. But Star Wars. Well, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, that was obviously our first. Introduction to Alec Guinness, surely. Oh, but, by far, yeah, yeah, by far. Yeah. Um, and quite famously, he took two percent of the proceeds. Yeah, I think. And I think five percent or something. I think he always that. said, "I wanted to play like the wizard mentor in a film," and yeah, he got yeah. to do it. He got to do it, but it was a bit of a monkey claw for Alec because he absolutely hated it, like hanging over him. It allowed him to not have to like work constantly, which I think he liked. But, like, there's very famous stories about him being quite um, pissed off with young fans coming up to talk to him or only recognising him for Obi-Wan and not yeah, knowing I, any of his work outside of that. Yeah, but I can imagine they're all young kids and you can't really uh, blame them for... <laughs> no, no, not blame them. I just know that it, it was a, th- a thing, you know, if I think of Alex Guinness, that's what I yeah. think about, like, him him calling... What was? I think there's a story about some kid came up to me and he said that he'd seen Star Wars like a hundred times or something like that and he's just like, how sad was his response or something like um, But like, yeah, it was kind of weird because Alec Guinness was basically a, a absolute prolific actor and then he did Star Wars and it allowed him to be really choosy about what roles he did from there. Well, I mean, also <laughs> like, again, by that point, he was, you know, he was getting on in years, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. So he, yeah, he probably, probably was slowing down. Like, I mean, I know after um, that he did like Passage to India, and then he did some like uh, yeah, because David Lean he was working with. But yeah, he I did think some he t- TV series uh, didn't he do? Yeah, because um, he did um, Tinker Taylor, Tinker and he Taylor, did Smiley's yeah. People. Yeah, the sequel. That's kind of what I remember about his last stuff. 
but I should say like uh, he's also kind of a curious one as well because he starts out basically basically he gets his recognition I would say comes from when he plays Fagin in Oliver Twist uh, yeah, which yeah. was only like his third film he'd done great great expectations again again David Lee but like um, Alec Guinness was kind of a weird guy he was um, not really a leading man this this film The Man in the White Suit is kind of weird of him being a leading man that's actually kind of weird for Alec Guinness he's actually more of a character actor by far and like he would always be in like costume as well which led to basically um, the unfortunate stuff in his career like you know the kind of black face in Passage to India and stuff mm. and Oliver Twist his Fagin portrayal is uh, he does look like a Nazi cartoon of a Jewish person <laughs> like um, but like he to he be fair though this... all, all Fagins have looked like that though really haven't they well the, the role's written like that yeah yeah <laughs> but like, so um, <laughs> But like he he um he has this weird energy about himself that he's a bit like of an enigma, um, and I was I found out as well that he was a uh, he was born illegitimate as well. He never even knew his father, and his surname's not even Guinness or something. Like his surname was given to him because they didn't know his father's surname, oh, and they knew born it sounded Alec like Guinness. Guinness or something. I think his mom was Deshaf or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, I think, I can't remember what, his dad's name was something that sounds like Guinness, but it wasn't Guinness or something. So he had this kind of really, he came from like quite, in terms of like, if you think of, I think of British acting as quite of like a high profession, really. It's, it's a, you know, like upper class profession, really. He came from quite auspicious kind of beginnings, really. And I think that led into his performances where he was kind of like hiding himself on screen. Um in these characters he liked a lot of prosthetics he liked a lot of characters he liked to do that as you know kind hearts and coronets is a great example of it and um so is like lady killers he's prosthetics and lady killers and the way he's kind of with the snaggle tooth and the kind of oh, evil yeah, way yeah. he's playing and stuff like that is absolutely what i think of alec guinness as a performance so actually this film when he's actually just the leading man you know no makeup um i wouldn't say the kind of he's not the sexual leading man or anything like that he's not like a romantic interest really the, the kind of play him like that but he's not really but he's definitely the leading man it's actually kind of unusual for him um which was in, it's interesting i found it really interesting anyway i forgot one one film that he's in that's fantastic dr shivago but yeah like again that's um david lean he just him like he had this kind of a uh, way to him that once he was on your kind of team he worked for you you know like he he, he was quite loyal to kind of that and uh, Ealing's the same thing um you got the guy we talked about Kurosaga before I think really working in teams and people you know and a big stage actor as well he was I think it's oh, yeah, a massive um, stage actor yeah I think it's worth mentioning at this point only because I think I think it's a form of erasure if we don't mention it. But after his death, a lot of the stuff's come out, the fact that he was a bisexual man and yeah. pursued quite a lot of bisexual relationships in his life. He was quite ashamed by it, from all accounts. And Ian McKellen's talked about this. Ian McKellen, you know, the statesman of gay actors. <laughs> As a gay actor. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the known voice. For he, he said that, like, um, Alec Guinness warned him when, he was, when Ian McKellen was becoming, wanted to come out as public and actually be, like, he considered it quite political to come out. Um, Alec Guinness warned him that it's a bit it's a dirty thing to do and not a good thing to do like and um, and kind of shameful so I wouldn't say Alec Guinness was happily bisexual but I mm. think it is I think it is erasure for us not to talk about someone who has such a huge like impact on British film and pop culture looking at Star Wars and not mention the fact that he was bisexual um, 
Yeah. So I think it's worth mentioning, really. And it's, just a, it's just a shame he was around in a time where it was like it was frowned upon. Apparently, there's I think there's apparently he got arrested, but there's no like um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The story there's, there's goes no documentation. Yeah, the story goes that he was... Um, he was fined like two Yeah, bob. I think it was 40 guineas or something, which is about a quid or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was some 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 trust in like a public toilet in Liverpool, I think it was. And the, uh, the story goes that he gave his name as the character that he played in Great Expectations. <laughs> uh, with Herbert Pocket, I think he plays in Great Expectations. So he gave his name as that um, instead of giving his own name. So the story goes, I don't know. You don't know about these things, but like... It's it's one of those things about kind of this period of Hollywood and stuff like that. There are like LGBTQ actors out there who like died not being out, you know, like and might have considered it like a bit of a shameful thing. But I think we're at the point that we should be able to kind of talk about it. I think when we do a Cary Grant film, we can talk about Cary Grant as well, who's a bit more complicated. Yeah. But um, there's... I think it's just worth mentioning, and especially with the bisexual thing, because bisexuals do get erased from media very easily, and especially from the historical records and stuff like that. So I think bisexual erasure is a thing, and I think it's worth just saying that, you know, like, and not saying it in a bad way, which I think some no, people no, no. would. <laughs> um, shall we go for the film? So, like, yeah, uh, sure. So what did you so? You had not really seen a kind of evening comedy before, so what were you kind of expecting going into it? I, I expected it to be a bit more farcical than it was. I mean, I know it okay. is to a point, but I, he, like Alec Guinness, plays it very straight, doesn't he? I yeah, mean, he does. I, yeah. After what we just said, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but like he's, yeah, it like like the only times for me where it got really comical. There's a lot of people being thrown in and out of doors. Yeah, like that I love kind that of stuff. like chaotic yeah. kind of humor, which I you know enjoyed that and stuff like that. Yeah, um, proper farcical kind of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but beyond, and I know it just said it wasn't that farcical, but like, but, um, <laughs> but no, I, I I genuinely enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say I laughed all that much to be honest for a comedy, but I don't sure. know if that's because of you know it's now 2020. It's not 1970 like years old. Yeah, do you know like, what I mean? But, um, no, I found it humorous to watch. Like it was fun to watch. Like weirdly enough, I think it was only a short film, but I could have maybe saved like ten minutes into it. I think there's ten minutes you got or something. Well, or five minutes you could have found. It's um, a good thirty it minutes until he he accidentally. Well, not accidentally, but he first creates the creates anything. Yeah, creates anything. Yeah. And then there's another like twenty minutes of them trying to figure it out again. Yeah, and then it's like it's at the hour where she when they they get to the point of like trying to take the thing off him, so it kind of becomes the almost premise of the film, really in the hour. Yeah, with the with the Uh, last twenty five minutes, half an hour of the film to go. That's when. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think if you know if you're looking at other you know mad scientist films like you know Flubber, like I mentioned, or like uh, or um, like uh, the Nutty Professor, like the kind of all of that kind of the creation of the kind of MacGuffin is a hell of a lot sooner in the film to give more play with the MacGuffin. Yeah. Um, but this doesn't really do that. I was, that's what I was expecting from this. I was expecting more of that. Um, but I was quite surprised about how much of a cutting satire it was. Oh yeah. I um, thought the satire was, you know, that element of it was great. 
Which um, I really wasn't. I didn't expect it to be as kind of not precedence the wrong word because that that precedent makes it sound like it wasn't precedent for the 1950s. Um, but like it, but relatable really. It kind uh, of reminds. Is it was it the cotton industry that kind of in America? I think like hemp and that. That's one of the reasons why marijuana and hemp was like made illegal and stuff is because. It, for, I bet you're right. Yeah, for, sure. It, to help the growth of the cotton industry, so it kind of, yeah, but it was very similar to that kind of thing going on. And yeah, and I thought I watched. There's a documentary about called um, "Who Killed the Electric Car," which is all about the fact that um, uh, the electric car was being developed at the same time as like petrol cars were in the kind of early periods, and it was massively killed by the petrol industry, who needed um, it needed to have you know wanted consumers to continuously pump their expensive fuel into it rather than something they could renew you know at home yeah. um and that made me think of this a lot really the way that you have the fight between the kind of industrialists and and well, the consumers with it well there's that line by the one of the workers you know he's like you know the, are the, you on about the, my favorite girl in the world well not the girl but the guy says he doesn't need the water the water ba- you know powered car and uh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. He the, does the, yeah. the the razor blade that never goes blunt and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. No, I loved um uh uh Bertha, uh, who was like the kind of northern trade union socialist girl. <laughs> yeah. Like at every point had a very cutting statement to say about capitalism. Like, um, but uh, yeah, it was you know it was very much on the nose, wasn't it? It wasn't so. Oh yeah, it wasn't hiding it. Which actually that surprised me. That's something I think about in 1950s films. I think it's all going to be like you know subtle because they're trying to get through censors. But especially in a time period where we were totally in Red Scare and we're totally in anti-communism and just the start of the Cold War. And this film's quite explicitly anti-anti-capitalist. Was a little bit surprising to me, if I'm honest. So I mean, like it's worth noting as well. Michael Goff's in the film as well, or is it I Michael Go? Is say, it Michael Go or Goff? Michael Go, I think it is. Yeah, G O U H. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say so. Like the kind of the film opens with the narration talking about it tells you that something happened in the textile industry, and the first thing we're shown is Mike, Michael Go, who's showing someone else around a mill, and yeah, that's uh, Alfred from Batman. <laughs> there was a there's another character in it called Hill. He's played by a guy called Colin Gordon, and okay. in when I was looking at him, I was like, oh, is that Alan Napier who plays um, who plays uh, Alfred in the 66 show? Oh, yeah. He yeah, looks yeah, just yeah, like yeah, him, yeah, but does. it's not. And I was hoping it was the two Alfreds on on stage together. But He's alas, the guy I thought looked like um, uh, Peter Sellers. I thought he looked uh, a bit okay. like Peter Sellers. Um, yeah. He's the guy that um, we'll get to him. We'll get to him because that's later. <laughs> but like, um, and like, uh, so like, yeah, this is like the film kind of, as you say, it's a bit of a slow start, weirdly. It doesn't need to be this slow, but like, you get this, um, you're getting shown around a mill and they find like an experiment that's been tucked away in the lab and it's loads of like test tubes and, and pipes and stuff like that that's all like beeping and booping to themselves. Well, apparently the music is, a lot of the music is just that, isn't it? And it's all created by yeah. scientific equipment. So people blowing into beakers and things like that, like boom, boom Is that boom, right? Boom, yeah. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom, boom. I kind of like that. I don't know how he managed to, um, like, so Alec Guinness's character is called Sidney Stratton. 
Yeah. And and he's kind of, I think he kind of, he never gets a job in the actual R&D department or like the research bits, does he? He kind of ends up working like in the, like as a cleaner or... Yeah, he, um, or, yeah. Cause so, but, and yeah. he kind of like, like he obviously set up this experiment without anybody noticing because they're like, who authorised this? Was it you? Is it you? Yeah. You know, did you build this? I love this, this bit. That's the, I, wa- I wanted to say that like they find out that this experiment's been built in the f- corner of the lab and later, a little bit later they find out it costs 4K and they have no idea who's been spending this or why they've been spending it. And they keep calling over these sequence of like scientists to come over and explain themselves. And there's one scientist that every time someone says his name, he coughs <laughs> and he really made me laugh. Like, who's the guy who keeps one of my drinking laughs. out of the straw? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they all have these like affectations to them, which I just thought was really endearing. Like a very British thing, I thought that every single person in this has some sort of affectation to them. Even like the landlady has like um, an arc in the film. I like, love the I love the landlady. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like so, like they 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 end up coming down all the line, and they end up they find Alex Guinness, and he gets fired from his job at the play. He does actually get fired. He walks out, doesn't he? Um, like because they you know they're angry that he's been spending money on this pointless experiments and you find out that he's like I was going to say he's a character you don't really know you don't really know much about him at all do you other than no, his invention no. and what he's trying like he's trying to do that's it you don't know anything the only else thing about you kind him. of you kind of get from it which I really liked was um, so at this bit he goes to job centre they have a bit of a moan he ends up getting a job at another mill just as like a labourer, isn't it? Like, and even the jo- the guy at the job centre is just like, you know, you don't want this job, you're overqualified for it. But he's like, nope, it will suit me perfect. Like, kind of. And this point, we meet this um, female labourer uh, who's um, that's uh, Bertha. And uh, this bit really made me laugh because who, one, I buy Vida Vida Hope Vida Hope Vida Hope Vida Hope Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's one bit because she says this. I was like, this is the point of the film. Where I was like, this film is singing my tune. But like she um she says like first she says well they take um so oh yeah you leave school you take the first job you have but you keep getting shunted to factory to factory at some point you realise you're thirty and what what are you you just floats and floating on the flood tide of profit and that's <laughs> that's capitalism for you and I was like bloody hell like this film like it's going for it but he like explains no no actually I'm a Cambridge graduate. And then this is kind of, he doesn't disagree with this, but she says, oh, I get it. You know, you've got the mind for it, but you haven't got the old school tile, tile, you haven't got the old school ties. So, you know, she just says discrimination. I've seen that plenty as well, which, yes, that's that's his backstory. You know, he's this brilliant scientist. He did get to Cambridge, but because he's probably working class, I think they're trying to present him as, or not got the ties to kind of industry that he ends up just being, you know, basically a labourer even though he can do this inventing. So I think that's them hiding his backstory in a, in a bit of dialogue, right, okay. really. Um, and I do like a little bit here, which I was just on her side. The tea whistle goes, and he explains that he doesn't want tea. And she snaps back, like, um, it's tea break, we had to fight for it. <laughs> yeah, because like, that was proving she's, like, she's part of the union. and Yeah, she's absolute socialist. They had to fight to have these tea breaks, and you're going to take your tea break. You're not going to, like, people died for this tea break, and you're going to have it, like... And I just thought it just seemed quite, I don't know. I think nowadays, even the idea, if you wrote those ideas in a film, you, there'll be voices out there accusing you of politicising like a comedy or something like that. Or like, why does politics have to be in everything? And I just thought it was kind of funny that this is the 50s and <laughs> they're, do, they're doing something that 
I think even now people would be annoyed at you doing. Let Emmanuel Nucci direct it in the normal mode, then. Oh, yeah, true. Or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Or the four lions go. Is it Chris Morris? <laughs> Chris <laughs> they can Morris, get away with yeah. it. He could absolutely get away with it. But um, so yeah, he kind of yeah. This is the bit where they deliver like an electron microscope to the mill. The kind of the scientists in the lab can't use it. They don't know what they're doing, and Alex Guinness keeps jumping in and saying, like, no, 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 you can't turn it on without this being switched on. And no, that's actually this. So they mistakenly think he's uh, actually from the lab or built the microscope yeah, like, or something. Yeah, yeah, or technician or something, yeah. They kind of go, well, you know a lot about this. Why do, can't you just come kind of work here for a couple of weeks and teach us how to use it? before you know before you like you go away and he he pretends like he goes oh yeah sure i can do that as long as i get some lab like some bench space i can do my own stuff as well and they're like yeah yeah sure no problem um so he has to quit his job working where he's working to work there (laughs) yeah 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 for free like uh and then you get like then that's the the tiny landlady comes in which is she's wonderful like um and uh she he like begs her to um kind of begs her to let him stay there for free and like he goes in a couple of weeks i'll promise i'll get like some rent to you and uh that's the point when the union workers getting like like yelling that they're forcing him to do scab labor like and (laughs) and working for free and i'm not standing for this like if you're gonna they can't force you to work for free we're gonna go on strike kind of thing like um then what kind of happens what have we missed well she she (laughs) kindly offers him money if she needs if he needs oh yeah yeah that's uh, true yeah um yeah and and the tiny landlady like lets him kind of stay there for free for a little bit, and then like, oh, so yeah. So at this point, we're, when she's already been introduced, but Joan Greenwood, she's the daughter of the kind of mill owner. Um, she she then comes back to inspect this mill and re- basically recognizes him, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, because she she bumps into him at the beginning of the film, doesn't she? When he's like yeah, a yeah. janitor or whatever. She, she's engaged to Michael Go to Alfred. Uh, to Alfred, and, um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, she kind of sees him, tries to spot him, and there's a there's a really good bit here that I really liked that he was trying to he's hiding from it behind that curtain with the other scientist, and uh, the other scientist think that thinks that he's like silently critiquing his work or something, <laughs> and he gets annoyed with him halfway through and goes fine and like runs off, and then later on when Alex Guinness tries to run away, like the the um head of the lab pulls him over and goes like, look, what was the problem with this? Then explain it, like. Which I just thought was kind of funny. Yeah, so she sees his little, like, flubber experiment and she runs off to kind of snitch on him. Uh, I did like this little sequence, though, where he's like, he jumps on the her moving car. Yeah. And then it, then it goes into you... some rear projection and then he, like, then falls off the car. What are you going to say? No, I was, yeah, I was going to ask. So it goes to a weird, as you say, it goes to rear projection. Then it does this weird thing when it kind of, like, cuts... Like it's almost like they cut out frames of the film to make him fall off the side of the car. Oh yeah, he just kind of he's there one sec, one frame, and then he's, and he's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. So Alex Guinness is like, no, I'm not falling in your film. <laughs> I'm not falling. No, <laughs> you've paid enough for that. Um, and then yeah, so he's begging her. You know, he's got bruise on his head and everything like that, and he's he's begging her not to kind of snitch on him. And he, you know, he's he's got really good science, and you can do something fancy. And he's, I like this bit because he's like explaining all these fancy, saying all these fancy. Oh, he's words talking about atoms her. and stuff like that. And- yeah, yeah, and polymer chains and stuff like that and things. And uh, this it cuts to her reading the Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> to kind of work out <laughs> what he was talking about. 
which I thought was a good gag. Um, kind of funny talking about this. Like, it's it's weird watching a film which is like um, uh, all about textile. Like, textile feels so kind of just boring, I guess. But like, there is a certain historical element to this which I can't give too much detail, but it's the invention of nylon is, is I think they're, they're kind of basing this on. And uh, okay. like nylon was a, like, it's a polymer, like this fabric in this, it man-made. And when it kind of, when it was invented, it was um, basically invented for ladies' tights. That's what nylon was invented for. But they quickly found out that it was more useful for other things. And basically, then the wars happened. Yeah. So it was actually more useful for the war element. So stuff like parachutes and things were all nylon, and um and lot lots of stuff like that, lots of jackets, waterproof stuff, and things like that. And what it actually led to was before the war, there was a huge surge in like popularity of nylon for like ladies' tights and things. Then it went away overnight because it had to go to the war effort. Yeah, but so like they were my like, my gran had to like she had to draw the lines yeah. of the tights on the back of her leg to make it look like. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it had it became such a thing that people pretended to have tights on all the time because like it, it well, was it probably such a showed a thing that went like, away. It may have showed some wealth or something that you yeah, why yeah, you totally, could get tights, yeah, but... yeah. Um you could I think you could still import it from like American stuff. And when like when shops were opening with stocks they managed to get, there would be in the paper and there'd be huge queues for people to get in and buy nylon and stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, digression, I'm sorry. Uh but uh yeah, so what, what where are we? Oh, he get kind of gets back into the lab at this point, doesn't he? Um, and is this where he? Yeah, he he goes back into the lab and he's kind of working there, like almost like off times. And this is when he sneaks out of the lab with like a charge, like kind of like like he's blowing up um, diamondite, diamondite, D- dynamite. <laughs> yeah, I did like, like this. I did like this scene actually, though. Yeah, so he's he's hiding out and he's got like the the kind of fire button and he presses it, imagining there's going to be a huge explosion, but it just goes poof and like um the the kind of chemical reacts or something and he yeah, vents yeah. this polymer, and uh, then he just goes fucking mad, um which I loved and he just he's so excited and he's running around the place shouting at stuff and and the kind of the other people in the lab like pin him down to the wall and and start yelling at him to be like sensible and they call the nurse who comes in and gives gives him such a great slap. Which actually made me laugh out loud when she just slaps him and no, he goes like she goes, What's the matter here? And Alec Guinness goes, The matter is that he's mad and she just slaps him twice in this like really just like like um instant way. And it really cracked me up actually. <laughs> um and he gets kicked out and kind of not kind of well, not fired because he doesn't work there, but um just kicked out of the lab really. And uh he turns up at the mill work at the mill owner's house then to um I did like Trying. this whole exchange with the um, the like the butler. Yeah, what? I I love this. It was proper like Scooby Doo. Oh I yeah. Thought. Like, um, yeah. So he's trying to get in the house. The butler doesn't want him in the house. Uh, meanwhile, upstairs you have the mill owner who wants to speak to Alex Guinness, but doesn't know like is Alex Guinness he wants to speak to because he wants to speak to the person who spent all the money. Uh, so they're trying to find Alex Guinness to speak to him. Um, the daughter as well is trying to wants Alec Guinness to come in and speak to his father, but the father doesn't. He's not interested in whoever his daughter's introducing him to. So you get all this kind of element that they're going in and out of the house constantly, and they're locking each other out of the doors. And the, now the butler's outside sometimes, or Alec Guinness is outside sometimes, um, which really made me laugh. I love that he proper Scooby Doo's the butler outside, and then well, it's him it's almost like the intro, the, the outro of the Flintstones. 
yes it is <laughs> it totally is but I know what you mean know. like that running back and forth in Scooby-Doo when they're kind of the, yeah, like, yeah. they're chasing Doors the monster and... and then the monster's chasing them and then they're like oh no and then the monster's chasing yeah, them yeah yeah kind of... then the one's in a wheelbarrow and then, then someone else is carrying the wheelbarrow that kind of stuff like. yeah yeah uh, but then I again I laughed really heavily because when they get fed up with of um, Alec Guinness they chuck him out of the house like his bloody Jazzy Jeff in French <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like whoop um, then somehow basically the owner gets talked into hiring him well does uh, his daughter doesn't his daughter like say she kind of chastises him, really, doesn't she, or something like that? Oh yeah, she does. Yeah, she says like, "Yeah, you, you're an idiot if you're going to pass up this like like opportunity." He's made this fabulous fibre, and this is kind of the point where, as you said, it's like over thirty minutes in, and we get the first explanation of what he's actually making and what it does. Yeah, like, we. So this is the no, first if you haven't point. Seen, if you yeah, if you haven't read the synopsis of the film, you're still like, "What's he doing?" You'd be like lost. Yeah, you would be. Um, so you know, she explains. You know, it's it's not only it's indestructible, and it actually doesn't stain either. Like it doesn't take dirt or anything. And um, he thinks it's wonderful, and hires Alice Guinness. And you get this scene where they walk very smugly into the labs with cigars. Um, Alice Guinness clearly can't smoke. Well, Sydney. Um, <laughs> so he's trying to be smug, smoking his cigar, but keeps coughing on it, and uh, kind of. He then gets hired to be like um, head of the lab, really, and to develop this kind of polymer. And you get this huge sequence now, which I thought was quite great, that like he can't replicate the experiment, so he keeps trying over and over again and just causing increasing amounts yeah, of more and more damage. And like, and yeah, each time you cut back to the labs and like the offices and stuff like that, more the walls have fallen off. Or they have like, to sign like, sign off bigger and bigger checks, don't they? To kind of yeah, yeah. To, to kind of keep supporting him. the damage and like all the chemicals he needs and stuff like that but I and like, like his assistant kind of, he has yeah 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 totally I can't remember they name him but I can't remember what he's called is it Wilkins I think it might be Wilkins might be Wilkins yeah um, but I like his old boss or current like the kind of like manager of the lab who like at first is annoyed with Alec Guinness and then when he keep coming cutting back he's like got PTSD from like the explosions <laughs> yeah. like in any kind of loud noise and any kind of shake he's like ready to just like like explode like it's really that just kind of cracked me up it's kind of mental really and it's just and just luckily the last time he does it the owner of the mill comes in to inspect the the kind of the uh, experiment yeah and thankfully it's the only time it doesn't explode and the chemical reaction reacts yeah yeah because it gets proper like world war one doesn't it with sandbags everywhere and they've all got tin hats on and stuff yeah. like and, um they got a little boy whose job is to stop people going oh, in I like, that. like where did they get the little boy from, where did they get him from? Like, i'm sure i'm sure you're not allowed to have like it's apparently not safe for anyone to be around it apart from let the children sit by I, I, to be fair the kids in this are great because there's a little girl like yeah. one who's great the kid yeah the girl's wonderful yeah um so like you kind of like so when I start thinking about science comedies really like it's a weird thing for Hollywood that you get a lot of kind of these mad scientist films um, like Nutty Professors and Inner Space or like you know the original Nutty Professor what was the Jerry Lewis Nutty Professor he wasn't fat though was he you know what I didn't look it up I'm pretty sure he wasn't fat I don't know why I I think his was he just looked gawky and 
geeky. Oh, was he just geeky and he got turned into cool? I think so. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I don't think it's fat. <laughs> Let's look at it. I think, it, is it just like he went from nerdy? Kind I of think it's more of like of a um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing, but like obviously not evil and... <laughs> Okay, so he turns him into Buddy Love. He's still called Buddy Love. He's a handsome, suave and charming and brash girl-chasing hipster. <laughs> I think he's just proper geeky looking like, a, you know, he's Austin st- Powers kind of thing and then he becomes like... I mean, he still looks like Jerry Lewis <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in, like, in Buddy Love mode. <laughs> anyway, where were we? But yeah, I was just thinking like like... It's weird that we always do like every now and again we have these kind of like mad scientist films and this must be the period for them or something. This just be the the start of it or something. And then later on they go away but they come back in the nineties with a vengeance. You know the best the best mad scientist film ever made? Go on. The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's one. I was wondering I thought you were gonna say Jurassic Park. I thought that was gonna be ah, it's a mad Well he's not a scientist though, is he? No, he's an industrialist. Yeah, different. It's, that's, that's the plot of Jurassic Park. He's an exploits them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where the hell are we? Oh, there's um, yeah. So he's just kind invented of in the of, potion or whatever. Not yeah, like, in the kind of this bit, you you get the kind of trade. <laughs> the elixir. Scenes. The elixir. The uh, fabric. Whatever. Do you know what uh, I like though? It. I love the scene though when they go into production of the fabric. And I was thinking, oh, how are they going to cut it, though, if they can't, like, impenetrate it? Or yes. And then he pulls out a blowtorch and I thought, oh, blowtorch. that was great. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. They, you get this kind of, you, you do get elements that the trade unions are arguing with each other as well. You get the scene where, like, there keeps being explosions and you get the, them arguing about the fact that they must be exploiting him. Like, they yeah. think, like, you know, like, she's having to go to the trade unionist uh, kind of leader to... Um, you need to be getting Sydney trade like danger money. He shouldn't be up there. They're clearly forcing him to kind of work that way. And whereas the trade unionist is kind of like, oh, you know, he he quit out of overalls as soon as he could, and now he thinks he's a fancy guy, so I'm not supporting him, kind of thing. And you're getting that kind of back and forth already of obviously the trade unions and the socialists not really agreeing with each other about the way they support every worker, and actually them being quite isolationists in who they support. But also then the verses, the kind of capitalists, the industrialists, that um, are not actually, they're actually just out for themselves as well. And uh, they are exploiting Sydney as well as, you know, at this moment anyway. And they're trying to exploit Sydney as well to try and make profit only. So you do get those seeds of that that satire being all the way through the film. It's not just like a little bit of it. It's it's just, it's actually what the film's about intrinsically. Um, but you say yeah so eventually like he makes it they're, they're cutting the fabric and he has his ni- nice fancy white suit which... well I like that though because he asked he asked the uh, tailor for the patterns because you know mm. like they won't be able to cut it and then you see them like it's almost like they're forging the armour because they're yeah. having to like blowtorch it it I looked kind of good actually I don't like because it clearly was like a fabric they were cutting with the flame but it wasn't burning so I don't know it looked weird to me anyway it looked like they thought about how it looked on screen anyway it wasn't like they were just cutting sheet metal anyway but then um, yeah you see him wearing his new like white suit yeah and, um, quite like a he, little bit baggy but yeah yeah but, but that was the um, style there wasn't it and like <laughs> but like he talks you know because obviously it's white and he's like well you, we'll have to figure out how we can implement colour in the early stages of the process yeah yeah because they can't dye it yeah um 
and it's it's incredibly white. It almost like I, I feel like they must have treated the film or something. They mo- no, I don't or- know if they treated the film because it looks all. Almost- I don't want to say a black light because it's like when they when they light oh, him up, yeah, he's sure. he becomes quite dark and the suit becomes worse. Yeah. So I don't know if there's some yeah. sort of like reflective material or like on the suit that kind of like on the suit itself. Yeah, yeah. Or like as you say, it was like a black light. It's like Marlon Brando's suit in Superman, like that kind of like reflective it is. kind of. You're right. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly white on screen. It is incredibly reflective. And they do explain that it's radioactive as well, which is yeah. the biggest thing that I thought. Like, um, Surely not good all... for him to wear that suit. No, but in the 50s it was fine. Like, yeah. it, was, it was healthy. Um, and this is kind of where, like, you get the plot of the film basically explained um, eventually. Like, this is quite far in, but you kind of eventually get to the point um that they need to sell this and uh that's when you introduce the kind of all the mill owners and they convene like the kind of convene a meeting of the local mill owners and the i love that there's the king stuff. of the mill owners like the old dude, dude who's like <laughs> dude this guy i loved him like <laughs> like yeah that's sir john who's basically montgomery burns like his introduction like, is he's like in shadow in his car with yeah. a fur coat on us <laughs> i fucking loved him i loved his little breathalyzer thing and like his cane <laughs> and his massive like fur coat and and uh actually the kind of uh interesting like link to this is like the whole Frankenstein thing and the whole like him being linked to kind of you know, it is a Frankenstein story, a mad scientist story. Oh yeah, really. well he's got his little Igor and stuff. Yeah. Uh the guy who plays Sir John um is uh Ernest Thessiger, I believe you pronounce his name. But he plays um, Dr. Pretorius in Bride of Frankenstein, who's very much the villain in Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. He's the really evil scientist who persuades Dr. Frankenstein to resume his experiments to bring, like, you know, the dead alive and stuff like that. He's like, see, Michael Goh was in loads of uh, horror films as well, wasn't he? It's true, yeah. I just thought, like, them kind of doubling down about the fact that the real, like, the big villain in this film, like, is that kind of dr frankenstein or at least even the the guy who was eviler than dr frankenstein in the sequel who and bride of frankenstein was a much bigger film than frankenstein so like i just i don't know if that was purposeful accidental or whatever but the guy does a great job in this and uh i just thought that was quite interesting link actually if them if they were doubling down on that kind of you know message or something and uh but i do like the kind of they're arguing about what they're going to do with the fabric. What, you know, what would this be? The mill owner himself is like, oh, look, I'm not standing in the way of progress. Like, the welfare of the community comes first before, like, anything else. And um, I was just like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, fucking, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's, you can really imagine the same kind of industrious talking nowadays about welfare of the community above anything else. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and Montgomery Burns has, like, a good shot back about, he goes, like, Look, we can't stand the way of progress. Was the spinning Jenny a disaster? And Montgomery Burns is like, well, for the people who didn't control it, yes, it was. Like, which is the whole kind of the message of the film about whoever controls that means of production is, is actually the one profiteering from it. And they, so they decide at this point that they cannot kind of, they can't just let this fabric get out there, um, because if it does, then it will, um, it will ruin them. Because yeah, so they're going to yeah. buy it off him and suppress it, I guess. Yeah, just, you know. they wanted to, like, yeah, suppress it and not actually go but, put it into production. But they were going to put it to the press, weren't they? Because he turns up 
to the mill to yes. kind of present it to the yeah, press. Yeah. The press are all there, aren't they? They're like waiting. Yeah, the press are all there, yes. Because the, the mill owner himself was going to just put it to the press. It's not until the kind of convening of the kind of bosses come over. Um, and uh, the uh, oh, this is what I was going to say, because the Montgomery Burns guy, the guy you were talking about, is so his smithers as well in this film. And he's always <laughs> like by his side and stuff. And that's what I was thinking when watching them. Uh, but you also get this this while they all saying that they you know they can't they can't let this fabric go anywhere because that you know people won't need new fabric all the time or they'll just need one suit or something uh they um which is very silly but whatever but like uh they um at the same time the workers uh, are talking about the fact that if if this goes into production then they won't ha- they won't be continuously making fiber you know their jobs would be on the line because they wouldn't have to be constantly kind of uh working the mill and um you get this kind of kind of system build up here where the industrialists are concerned about their profits the workers are concerned about actually just having a job and you got stanley in the middle who um also sydney in the middle who is a just completely naive to both of these things he's just like a scientist who's just like naively bumbling himself into innovation and thinking that anything he does would be a benefit which is also a satire like it's you know if you're just coming out of world war Two, you got like the kind of the whole thing about the atomic age and the bombs of, of the idea that scientists just bumbling their way into the future without actually thinking about consequences yeah, yeah. of what they're creating so it's 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 got three strands there and what i found interesting is the film actually doesn't land on any of them really apart from like mr burns sir john being like really evil really it's it's kind of not saying that one of them is right. It's all of them are kind of got their point, but it's their the problem is the fact they're all just reactionaries. Even Sydney's a reactionary himself. Like they're all just reacting, which I I thought that was that's good stand that's good satire for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, so uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Again, my favorite, my favorite um, trade unionist is is makes me laugh because she goes on about her um. <laughs> the dead hand of monopolies and stuff like that uh, when they're talking about like what can be done with the fabric and stuff like that um, so they have this, they wave in this contract in front of Sydney uh, which uh, they're asking him to sign that would waive his rights to the patent for the fabric and let him let them take over it he's um just an idiot he's not there's a great bit here where he's like he's so optimistic about what's going on he's just excited about stuff and he's not really kind of thinking they're doing anything evil and he's uh gets distracted by this pen which really made me laugh <laughs> with the um <laughs> you get like asking what's the ratio of ink to fuel to, to, ink. to, to fuel <laughs> yeah because it's, it's a, a lighter with pen. a lighter yeah i was and, expecting uh, him to light the um the contract, contract. With it or something like that. that's what <laughs> yeah. i was expecting to happen but but no, he's just very naive. Um, and uh, eventually he realises they're trying to kind of take the experiment away from him. And again, this is very kind just of caperish because they um, you then have them running around everywhere and the secretary gets in the way and they're smashing against walls and Sir John is swinging his cane everywhere and they're going in and out of doors and down corridors and in and other doors and stuff like that. Like, um, Oh yeah, the communication, you know, that kind of beep, what's it, what do you call it? Like, yeah, like, that weird intercom thing. The intercom thing falls on the floor yeah. and it keeps intercomming yeah. her and you keep hearing her popping up through the... Yeah, because the trade unionists are trying to strike or are on strike, but 
they keep trying to tell the mill owners the trade unions are gone on strike, but the trade un- but the mill owners don't want to listen to like <laughs> anyone else or don't care. So that's like this is for ages, and they they don't, for ages they're on strike, but it's not until later on where actually you find like the kind of industrialists learn that they actually have gone on strike. Um, meanwhile, because I think of this, the press do find out, don't they, that something is afoot? Well, it like gets or leaks is... or something, doesn't it? In their yeah. So the the express or something, um, the express or something prints like a like a kind of little I kind of. I love seeing report. old news, like uh, news offices, and then the, the the newspaper mills and stuff. I love seeing. Yeah, them. I think they're cool as well. That was one like I loved that the post because like Steven Spielberg clearly loves like printing. So like he just spent a lot of time showing us how like newspapers are made and printed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and stuff. Yeah, it's brilliant. He um there is a funny line here where like that so Stan so um Alec Guinness knocks himself out uh, and they take him back to the mill owner's house. But he doesn't knock, knock him himself out like on purpose. <laughs> well, not on purpose, no. But he does. Doesn't he back into like a like a kind of backs into like a, a he- statue and then this metal thing falls on top of his falls head. on his head. Yeah, and they're like, is he dead? And they like, no, he's not. And Sir John's like, oh, that's a shame. I did love the <laughs> shot, though, where the ambulance is driving, followed by, like, the four black cars. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, the introduction of, like, the, the mill owners, it really reminded me of, like, um, uh, uh, Budapest, uh, where, like, the different concierge turning up from different, like, uh, hotels. Okay. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. It mind, really reminded me, especially how they're shot in like shadows and some just seeing their hands and stuff like that. It just really no, yeah, you know you're right, actually, yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah, so they lock him up, and again, Sir John is killing it because he's like, we can't keep him here forever. I mean, there are actually one or two laws in this country, <laughs> like which I thought was good. <laughs> and then this, this scene gets pretty damn dark, actually, now, um, especially for like a 50s film, where they... Um, Daphne, who is a um, the mill owner's daughter, she ends up in like the room with all the mill owners, and while her dad's on the phone, they talk her in to sleeping with Sydney, in order to get him to sign the contract. Yeah, to convince him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, not only is like the the old men like of the mill doing this, including like Sir John, but his her fiance is one of them. Who's, yeah, like, and they're selling the payer. Yeah, and they said they'll pay her, so it's like prostitution. It's and like, like what? It's and I was just like, I couldn't believe it made it past censors because it's not. It's 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 kind of the language plays around with it a little bit, but it's very clear what's happening, and to the point where she's like, "Look, I haven't had much experience in these things, but I understand that it's a relatively well paid job." And um, so like they go, "Well, well, how about two k?" And she's like, "Oh, come on, I, I I reckon I'm worth about five k." And like Sir John's like, "Okay, yeah, fine." <laughs> like and I was like. Oh, good on her, to be honest. Like, it's a, seems like a relatively good price, <laughs> especially in the 50s. <laughs> but I was just like, I couldn't believe it just made in this through, like, sensors at that time. Um, so she heads upstairs, talks to Stanley. Sydney. I keep saying calling him Stanley, it's Sydney. Um, yeah, um, and uh, he's not, not actually interested at all. Like, he's kind of, like, he's incredibly just, like, He's just very sexless as a leading man, really, in this. He's not really... They're not really linked, like, emotionally or anything like that. Well, I did wonder, like, earlier on with uh, Bertha if they were going to do something like that because they kind of... The way she was when he 
Mm-hmm. When he's in the 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 half house or whatever they call it, like you know the kind of a half house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like I thought they were setting something up there, but no, no, um, they don't really do they. Um, he's just weird. a guy who's intent on just seeing through his goal of getting his invention out. That's it, really. Yeah, I was wondering if there was if they were trying to like suggest he was gay but there's i didn't really get any of that coding either there was one line i think when there's all the men in the the room before they suggest they're like i think michael goff says um he goes there must be something we can use to kind of tempt him and then he goes i think michael goff goes women and then i'm sure he goes that's it i'm not sure he's that well inclined or that way inclined or something oh okay there's no sense in pursuing this boy with money. We've all seen it. There's nothing to him. Well, what else could I? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Put him on, will you? Women? It didn't seem to me to be the type. It's often that type that... Um... Very true. So there might be something there in the script or something. like. But... Which would be quite forward in the 50s to kind of yeah. even be mentioning that in a film because even at that point it was like... You know, especially for your protagonist, I think yeah. at this time, like, um, and a guy who it, the actor who was portraying the lead character is genuinely homosexual. Sure. <laughs> it's like he was, who, as you said earlier, was um, embarrassed by it. Yeah, it's quite shameful. So if that's what yeah. they were yeah. like referencing, that would be quite interesting. Quite weird. Mm. I did, I, I did quickly try and look up something, but there's not much online, I have to say. But like. There is a suggestion that most kind of Ealing leads were kind of sexless, really. They just kind of wrote these kind of um, not really romantic, like, protagonists. So maybe that's it's just more that. But I don't know. There's a reading of this film that that was happening. And I think some of um, um, uh, Daphne's, like, reactions to him when she's kissing him at this point or trying to get him to kiss her, I think there is a little bit there, like, Joan Greenwood's performance of her suggesting that there's no attraction there for mm-hmm. Um but again, he could anyway. be just one of these, I don't know, like he's, uh, I don't want to say Asperger's or something like that, but that kind of, you know. Oh, I know what you mean. Like that kind yeah. of way of thinking where it's just, it's more about his goal and nothing yeah, else really he, matters. Yeah, he didn't care, yeah. But like he rejects her basically, he does flat flat out rejects her um, and she's actually really happy about it. Um, she's just, I think what what she say, she says something like, good, if you'd taken up my offer, would have slapped you or something, I think. Yeah. Um, so she kind of then uh, works with him to get him to escape because they want to get him to the press basically so they help. she helps him get out of the attic and his goal is to get on the train and get to Manchester but he, he Batmans it out of the he, he like scales down the <laughs> I knew you were going to say that he properly Batmans down the side of the house but <laughs> like... he's like that thread the, the thread's that strong that he yeah. like holds his body weight and he kind of holds his body all the way up yeah um, in the meantime yeah that Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, holds him on the way down up. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, the unionists have gone on strike because you know they're very concerned about their jobs. Um, and uh, you, um, she, um, he gets back to his line of like like halfway house place, and he bumps into um, Bertha. They have an argument about the fact that uh, like she's thinking that they're using him to make this fabric to put the workers out of jobs and he's explained to her that no they're trying to suppress my 
like invention. I don't know what like, makes her think that though of him though, because like when she sees him earlier on, and he's got yeah. his white suit on, he doesn't come across as a man that's being like he's like he's excited to kind of yeah yeah. So I think she just as you say that they definitely play some sort of like um, attraction from her to her, yeah. I think, and she's just thinking the best of people. Um, well, until about but, two seconds later, where she <laughs> locks him in a room. She does say that line. She goes, um, "Oh, like human life means nothing to those sort." Like, which I like. Like, um, but yeah, he he she locks him in a room. Um, we have missed. He's, tr- he's tried to get a train, but he's like he's short of oh, yeah. money, or he doesn't have the exact P. change, or something like that. Yeah, and the taxi Don't driver he? won't give him five p. So yeah, he wants to. Get he has to go back to his halfway house because he knows he's That's got right. some money in his vase. But he gets into his room. And there's already another guy in there. Like they've already yeah. let the room out again. Oh so, yeah, that's so when who he, he gets, is. Yeah. So yeah. So, uh, Sydney gets locked in the other lodger's room, and then the lodger yes. gets locked in Bertha's room or something like that. Oh, a toilet or something. It yeah, looked yeah. like it was. Yeah. Yeah. You get introduced to this new character out of nowhere that suddenly gets a ton of lines. Again, <laughs> like more people thing. getting locked in and out of rooms. <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah caperish locked in and out of rooms. Uh, so yeah, the. The other lodger's locked in another house room. It's like he's locked in another room, um, and he's trying to find a way out. And but he's being guarded by one of the other union, by like, one of the trade union trade guys. Unions, yeah. yeah. In the meantime, it cuts back to uh, the kind of mill owner's house, and the trade unionists and the industrialists are going at it. But then they slowly realise they're on the same side. Like they're both trying to suppress what's going on. Yeah. So uh, the Bertha mill- tells them that she's got. Sydney, yeah, uh, which like deflates the kind of mill owners because suddenly actually it means the trade unionists have the kind of power in this negotiation. But then that's interrupted by the fact that the other um, trade unionist runs back from the house to tell them that Sydney's escaped somehow. Well, yeah, and... we we've, like <clears throat> Sydney like sees a little girl outside, and he's he's even got like prison bars so he's like looks like he's even like been in prison he sees this little girl and he like obviously hatches a plan with the little girl like she opens she knocks on the door he opens it and she goes oh there's a there's a man in there and he's just escaped yeah and so he he ran that way yeah so he looks in the room and obviously he can't see him so he runs out runs out the house to look for him and then sydney like pops out of the uh pops out the closet the closet oh god (laughs) (laughs) don't (laughs) Um, and there, Sydney runs away. But Sydney is wearing a radioactive white suit, so yes. he is incredibly like visible in the street. So this kind of chase happens now through like the streets of whatever tiny town in North England they're in, um, where you get these herds of herds, hordes of like uh, trade unionists like chasing him down to kill him. And the industrialists as well are chasing him down to kill him. Ah, yes, but a butcher is finishing work at the same time. (laughs) It's a baker, actually, yeah. Is it a baker? I love this scene, yeah. (laughs) So, like, the baker's finished at work and walks out the bakery in his whites and they've mistaken him for Sydney. So they start chasing the baker around to beat him up. I love it, though, when he finally gets home and he's, like, his daughter or his wife pops out. It's like, what have you (laughs) been doing? Yeah, yeah, like all these hordes chasing after him and these daughters. I think I thought it was his daughter as well, but it might be his wife. Was just like, "What the hell have you been doing?" And the guy's just like, "I don't know, I don't know what's happening. I'm just being normal." I thought that really cracked me up. That was one of my biggest laughs, actually. Um, <laughs> and then I, so yeah, like 
as you say, the girl comes back as well. Who's I thought the little girl was a really good actress, but like, it, like she again lies for Sydney, says that he's run another way than he has, and sends the kind of crowd to run a different way. Um, I guess like Sydney's kind of childlike, isn't he? And he's kind of yeah, he is. His kind yeah, of the way he acts and the way he is. So he's kind of probably got a kinship with with kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, like he's very just charming and nice yeah, yeah, and yeah. honest and open. Yeah, and very naive. Like um, then but this. Yeah, the like he runs into his landlady, and uh, and he's asking like begging her to um help him. I think she he's begging her to give her one of give him one of her like uh blankets that she's just washed or something so he can wrap himself up so he wouldn't be glowing so people can't see him. Um, and she she has a go at him for being like uh. Like, what about my bit of washing? If there's no, if with you and you scientists, you never know when to leave alone. Like, when there's no washing to do, what am I gonna do? Like, which um, I just I didn't expect that to be part of. The but I love it now when they all turn up. It is like they're about to burn down the windmill with Frankenstein monsters. It is, like, you know, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they just yeah. don't have the fire, the firing kind of yeah, yeah, stakes or whatever. But, um, but they're they're trying to tear him apart, basically, aren't they? Like, yeah, but we cut back to the to the, the lab now don't we yes yeah yeah you see what yeah, I think you see the guy you're on about keeps drinking stuff I think yeah. it's him isn't well, no, it no like, isn't it Will isn't it it's his like is it Wilkins like his oh no it is Wilkins yeah 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 yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like his assistant buddy. yeah yeah his lab buddy <laughs> yeah and he he finds the reams of this fabric it's it started to disintegrate on the kind of whatever they're called like um spinning top things the real or and, I don't uh, know, whatever it is yeah, and uh, so he yeah, runs out the lab to try and warn Sydney that actually this this fabric's unstable. Um, it's it's not gonna you know it's not gonna be a world beating fabric or something. Um, too late, the the crowd are already on him. But when they start beating him up, this his suit just starts like disintegrating in their hands, you know, and just kind of starts falling through their fingers and stuff. And everyone's like burst out laughing at him i love it how it stops being like a normal fabric and ends up just looking like cotton wool <laughs> yeah it <laughs> does just, doesn't just, it? But, like, but i, I felt it, so bad for him when they all start laughing at him yeah yeah or, me too or not like, i don't know if they're laughing at him but just laughing that it's just well that's it now it's over now yeah they're, they're gleefully laughing that like innovation has been squashed aren't they really they're, yeah they're but like it's, kind of... it's just because like obviously later on he you know, he's a scientist. He's going to figure out a way to kind of something, yeah, to figure that that's out. It, yeah, that's what it kind of ends on. So it cuts back to narrator again, who's the kind of mill owner, and Sydney's walking away, having having to be fired now, wearing normal clothes, but he's staring at his like notes in his little book, and he's kind of and he get you get the kind of impression from him that he knows why it went wrong, and he's never going to stop kind of inventing, and at some point he'll you know at some point he'll work, make this work. So it's all kind of futile to get mad at him, really. But um, yeah, and that's kind of the end of it. Like it's you say, as I say, it's it's not very long. It's an hour and a half, but it it is also a bit too long. Like yeah, I, I, I definitely could. They could have, you know, I definitely felt like it could have had a bit of stuff cut out and a bit streamlined or something. Especially the start where it does a lot of setup getting to just the point but it is um, it's, it's it's very enjoyable and like it is you know, it's it is, not it's yeah. not like a film where the performances are going to like break you know they're not going to blow your mind or anything but you know everyone's mm. solid in it and like you know if, i thought but, alex Guinness was great i did um i, I thought he was we I mean, know he's a great actor but like um 
It's yeah, funny just... me seeing him young because I'm not used yeah. to seeing him. Like even like um, and he's very young in this. So that's what I'm saying because when you see his younger films, he's always in prosthetics. But even so, like, Bridge, it's weird a few years later, he looks a lot yeah, older. Exactly. Whereas this one yeah, yeah. is like a you know a 35 year old man, and he like I'm yeah, not used to easy. seeing. Yeah, even in like because Lady Killers is like two years after this, but he's playing like a Lady because he's playing like a, a sixty-year-old man. Well, yeah, he's got the like prosthetics that, he? Like, on and stuff. Yeah. And... So what it was kind of weird seeing him just as a leading man, um, but really cool. <laughs> I think I might be right. I, th- I got a feeling this film was nominated for an Oscar for um, screenplay. Really? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was nominated for screenplay for best writing, which I'm, I think I... that's the best thing about it. Is like, is its screenplay is all there? I think like, and the kind of commentary it's going for. Well, I know when it opened, it was like one of the biggest films in the UK that year, and um, I can I, imagine. And the Guardian, it, like, as I don't know, about six years ago, like said it was one of the twenty best British science fiction films. I don't know how many British science fiction films there are, but like, that's not a huge list, yeah. <laughs> like, it's weird <laughs> calling this a science fiction film, but it is really. It is, but, yeah, it is. And yeah. like, science fiction is great for satire and social commentary. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to get yeah. a better pairing than those two. They always seem no. to like work so well hand in hand. Yeah, and it, and yeah, as I said, it was oddly, oddly precedent about kind of. You know, what's still going on with capitalism and yeah. the kind of exploiting a class or like this the suppression of innovation or alternately using innovation to, yeah. to actually suppress the working class or to suppress stuff like um and that kind of you know this film comments on like monopolies and, and stuff like that and well they talk about like in like this like um like uh, not motorized mills, but you know, like what I mean. Like, uh, mm-hmm. but now we now mm-hmm. we've got like robot assembly lines, and you know, which kind of hard. I like... thought, I thought what was kind of like the film doesn't know this, like when it was being made. But like, what I thought was kind of weird looking back on this is that the workers in this film, you know, did lose their jobs. Like those mills were shut quite soon after the fifties. Yeah, yeah, like. Um, and it doesn't have to be the fact that textile mills, but you know, if the UK car industry, coal, oh, yeah, steel, say, yeah, yeah. Um, are all the similar sort of thing, you know, and and Britain did lose all its kind of industrial workers, but because of like the mechanisms of the industrialists, you know, and as soon as workers were too expensive, all those jobs went abroad because it was cheaper to work stuff from abroad, like, and as soon as you know, you know, the mechanisms came in, you had mechanisation originally, and now automisation. Uh, which means less of a workforce, like, and so like, what they feared would happen about kind of, uh, their you know what they feared would happen about losing their jobs to innovation. They first lost their jobs to actually just the fact that the industrialists are not their friends, and and one of the satires <laughs> in this was this I thought the kind of the the industrialists telling the trade unions to join up with them. And they're, you know, they're they're on a similar goal here, and convincing them they're on a similar goal. I think is the kind of true satire about what mm. actually did happen to society, and actually you can't trust that because they did eventually lose their jobs anyway. And it wasn't to some like little scientist who made a fabric, <laughs> you know, like um, it was something, you know, bigger mechanisms. And I just thought, like, you know, as a like a little fable or little kind of message about like the workforce and stuff, this film works. You know, it has it in there. Um, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I thought you know it did what it was supposed to do. I'd yeah, give it, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. give it a solid four out of five, three and a half. Yeah, four. 
I don't know. I was three and a half for myself, yeah. One of those, yeah. It was surprisingly enjoyable. And um, in terms of shooting, we haven't really talked about how it's shot and stuff like that. It's, I guess a lot of it was shot on, like, um, sets and things. But, like, um, it, I thought it was kind of shot like a noir, if that makes sense. Which I don't know if maybe that was a kind of... Maybe that was a thing about alien comedies and stuff, but it looked very noirish to me. I mean, you know, it's black and white, so, I mean, that helps for a start. That helps, <laughs> yeah. But, no, I, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And uh, I mean, it's not shot like... It, like a, You know, it looks great. I mean, it, looks, it looks perfectly, you know, fine. It's not like it's not like Akira Kurosawa last week where it was, like, yeah. just invention, like, all the time. Yes. And just, like, yeah. mind-blowing but, cinematography. I mean, it, but, it, you know, it looked... You know, it didn't look cheap. It didn't look... No. You know, it I didn't well photographed and everything. It just wasn't like there's a way like um. By the way, the director Alexander McKendrick, um, American guy who then grew up in Scotland. Um, so actually not a British guy. I was going to say stealing <laughs> um, our jobs, stealing our jobs. But actually, I think you know he's American Scottish, so you know whatever his passport said, whatever it was. But like uh, they, they do he get did a lot for healing. Yeah, exactly. And you do the element of spectator sees more of the sport kind of thing. So him coming in as like an immigrant could actually maybe help him make a bigger satire. But also, I think British, as well, it also like, helps when you do things like that. If someone is a bit of an outsider, because yeah, they I do. kind of I agree. see it from a kind of different lens and they can kind of add yep. their like perspective to it. And I think like he, he didn't follow this up immediately with Lady Killers, but I think, you know, that was a few years later. But um, Lady Killers is, is a wonderful film and again, a great satire and like comedy crime and british crime stuff what do you things. think of the remake uh i haven't seen it since i saw this did we see it the cinema? cinema i think we saw it at the cinema yeah, we did. i remember not really enjoying it but actually there's something in my brain that tells me i think i like it i just like, think and I tom think hanks like was tom pretty hanks good in it. it yeah yeah i'd like to rewatch it actually because he plays it more like the he looks like the kfc guy doesn't he? yes yes yeah because they moved the setting to kind of new orleans haven't they yeah, or something yeah. Yeah, I know it's got William H. Um, is it William H. Macy's in it? No, is he in it? Have I made is that he up? In it? I need to have a look. Yeah, I barely remember. I know it. one of the Wayans brothers is in it. Yes, J.K. Simmons is in it. But I think that's who um, I'm thinking of, not not yeah. William H. Macy. Oh, uh, that um, what's his name? Uh, Zima uh, is in it. Um, when I talk about it, it's shot like a noir, like it's it wasn't shot like. Often when I see old comedies, when they're shot as comedies, they're very, like, bawdy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and shot very, like, you know, telling you that this is funny. Almost. Well, it, like, the way like, you think of those, like, the old Norman Wisdom films or, like, the, mm. you know, those kind of, like, where he's a Maltman and he's kind of... Yeah. yeah bumbling sure. along, like, you know. And just, there's something about comedy sometimes that are shot in a way to tell you that this is funny without a laugh track kind of thing. I think these were shot more in the mind of these are films. They're not, we're not just yeah. kind of doing a slap and, and tickle kind of thing <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like a, yeah yeah not just it's not like Benny Hill you know, it's yeah early for Benny Hill but yeah. like you know what I mean um, and I just I was just impressed by it it just it was, that, I noticed that anyway who let's have a look at who was the who was the DP I wonder let's have a little look Douglas Sikorum who let's see what he's worked on oh he was on the he yeah. worked on Indiana Jones fucking hell fuck <laughs> he was fuck. the DP so yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, wow! I can't believe he's DP on Indiana Jones. That's how it was. I guess because they shot that in England. Just trying to think well. He did the Italian job. 
original yeah. Italian job. Great Gatsby. Rollerball. <laughs> so yeah, this guy knows what he was doing. <laughs> he absolutely does. Yeah, I think it was. I think you could tell anyway mm. from watching it. So any any kind of last thoughts on it? Like no, just as I said, it's it's very enjoyable. It, you know, good performances. Um, yeah, it just it was it was a fun little romp kind of. Yeah. You know, it's not like something I'm probably going to watch. I, I mean, I may watch it again, but not for a while. But um, mm. but it's I, one yeah, of the sure. more obscure films I'd say that we've done as well. It's not like I, I don't think anyone's ever told me to watch this film. Really, it's not one that's always on lists. Well, I was things, speaking but... to my dad about it, and he seems to have fond memories of watching it when yeah. he was younger. I think so. But I was, I was keen to keen to look at Ealing because they were a big force in British film, um, and something that. I don't think you can really talk about a British film at any point and not talk about the fact that they made like these huge comedies mm. that are still really well loved and they're you know they're bank holiday films <laughs> like they're always on somewhere. It's on funny TV, as so. well, like looking back at the silent era and like the later on, like a lot of the the comedians were British, weren't they? So like uh, one of Lauren Hardy was British, weren't they? I think. Is that right? I think so. I think. Uh, let's have a little look. I mean, obviously, you got Charlie Chaplin, who's yeah, by yeah. far the, the biggest star of that era. And, and the I'm British. sure. I don't know how they would have met because I'm pretty sure. Uh, Stan Laurel. Oh, no, he's from California. Oh, no. No, he wasn't. He's from Lancashire. Oh, okay. But oh. then I think Oliver Hardy is. Yeah, he's from Georgia. So God knows how they met. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he went over to um, to do like kind of like vaudeville or something. Yeah, like maybe. And met on those circuits and things. That's kind of weird. It's funny talking about like Charlie Chaplin as well because at this period as well, which we won't be covering it, but Limelight that comes out in a few years, which is was Charlie Chaplin's last film. Um, it comes out in fifty four, is it? Something like that. But um, at the t- this moment in time when this film was being made, Charlie Chaplin was banned from america for being a communist oh yeah <laughs> and uh and when his film gets released uh, limelight i think it takes like 20 years or something to get released in america which is just insane really um for what some point at one point was the biggest star in the world so what we're we talking about next week i don't know what we're talking about next week let me look it up ollie um next week we are returning to America to do uh, the bad and the beautiful, uh, which is a um, a film by. I mean, Brandon had this conversation today. Vincent Minelli, we believe it's pronounced, uh, big okay. filmmaker. Um, it's all about kind of Hollywood and looking at Hollywood itself, like starring um, Lena Turner or Lana Turner and uh, Kirk Douglas when he was oh. in his first retirement i don't know <laughs> like when he's like before he <laughs> before he became the 200 year old man of Hollywood. i think like, he's still alive somewhere <laughs> like i don't believe he's actually died but i like i'm yeah, looking forward to it i don't kirk douglas watch kirk douglas film in the 50s that'd be interesting i think um yeah if anyone wants to like watch along with us uh we do on our twitter page we have like a little image that kind of says all the films we're going to watch in order so if you yeah. want to watch along with us feel free and it's uh, all set in stone and correspond with us about what you think of such said films and things yes things and stuffs yeah yeah it's things and stuff that you've seen and tell us about ealing comedies and which ones are the best and yeah. watch all of them <laughs> <laughs>
Right. Um, I think it's. I think it's too late. I think it's time to wrap it up. It's time for Betty buys now. It's time for Betty buys. Cup of tea and uh, some Z's. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, don't forget you can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a Y R, not a your. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. It would really help us. You can do that on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. Where else? Amazon Music. Are we on anything else? I don't know. And yeah, don't forget, if the picture's bad, always adjust your tracking. <laughs> <laughs>